family. Happy Sabbath to all of you. May you be greatly blessed. For this day, God has abundant blessings for each one of us. From the youngest to the oldest. From the tiniest to the tallest. And I leave it right there. We are all included in the blessings that the Lord wants to give us. Uh, Pastor Godfrey, thank you for inviting me uh, to be part of this worship service here with your church family. For the, uh, also to the leadership of the church, thank you for also extending this invitation. Greetings from Central California Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, of course. I have the privilege to be part of the uh, team that we uh, tried to lead the Ministry of Stewardship and Gift Planning Ministries. And uh, what an awesome privilege God has given me in this stage of my ministry to be able to encourage, to teach, to inspire. And let me tell you, I take this as a solemn call to prepare a people for the soon coming of our Lord and forever friend, Jesus Christ. So that is the reason why we're here. Yes, definitely we're here to worship our God, but He uses this specific moment to prepare us to meet Him. So this morning I have titled the message, The Godly Way of Giving. And the godly way of giving, because in the world that we live in, in the society that we walk back and forth, if we are not careful, we do acquire society way of giving. I'm going to repeat that again, family. If we are not careful, in the culture that we are surrounded by, we acquire this world way of giving. Giving is done expecting something in return. What is there for me? Giving is done selfishly. You scratch my back, I will scratch yours. So if we're not careful, we might, we might be even giving to our Lord the same way as the world gives to one another. So today, we're going to open the Bible. And in a simple way, we're going to allow God to teach us and the Holy Spirit to, 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 to put in our hearts those truths that will help us taste what it is to be a true disciple of Christ and definitely to be ready for his kingdom. So before we continue, let's bow our heads one more time and let us ask a blessing upon the word that we're going to see this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, when we open scriptures, it isn't just any writing. It's your writings, holy writings that we have in your hands. It expresses your will, your goodwill towards us, and it, is, it shows us the way. So, Father, this morning, we humble ourselves before your presence, and we certainly want to hear from you. 
We don't want to see men's philosophies or men's teachings, but we want to see your pure teachings. That's what we have come for. Please bless us, and may you, Holy Spirit, take this into our hearts for us to keep and also to put into practice into our everyday living. This we pray and we ask for in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Family, I want to take you to the gospel written by Mark. Right there in chapter 12, verse 41 through 44, you're going to find a narrative that is very familiar to each one of us. We have heard it many times. We probably have heard it. I've heard it in sermons, in Bible studies, in appeals. But this morning, it is my prayer that God can see you. God will help you see details in his word that will change forever the way that you give to him. And I'm not talking about only resources, but I'm talking about your whole life. Because we're going to find in this narrative a principle that will change our whole Christian living. Let us start reading verse 41. Are you there with me? Chapter 12 of Mark, chapter 12 and verse 41. And it starts reading like this, the narrative. Verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. I'm in verse 42 now. But a poor widow came and put into very small copper coins, worth only a fraction of a penny. Verse 43. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others, verse 44. They all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in, putting everything, all she had to live on. On verse 41, just by the, the, the start of the narrative, you see a different, peculiar, and unique picture of Jesus. Jesus is not preaching. He is not healing. He is not teaching. He is not praying as it was his habit. He is not walking on the dusty roads of those days. The verse tells us that Jesus sat down. Let me tell you, oftentimes you don't find Jesus sitting down. He had a very active ministry. Let me tell you that. He had to run away from people because they did not leave him alone. So this Bible text gives us that unique picture. Our Lord, our friend, he sat down. He found a specific place there in the temple and he sat down. The verse also tells us, the specific, the geographical area of the place that he chose to sit. Did you notice that? Who can tell me, family? Who can tell me where did he sit? Specifically where? That's why he said he sat down opposite the place where the offerings 
were being placed. He did that on purpose, let me tell you that. He sat down opposite the place where the folks, where the faithfuls were coming and they were putting the offering. And what was he doing? Because let me tell you, our Lord does everything with a reason. There is never a moment you see him doing something that does not have a purpose. What's the reason why Jesus sat there opposite to the place where the faithfuls were putting the offering? What was he doing, kids? Any of the kids noticed when we read the verse? He? He did what? He watched. He looked. He behold. Some other Bible verses, some other Bible versions say. He behold. He watched. He looked how people were putting in the offering. Now, let me tell you this. Don't ever be afraid. Don't ever fear when Jesus sits down to watch, especially if it's you. Don't be fearful. Because let me tell you this morning, he does not watch or look or behold the way that we watch. We tend to watch differently. So much differently than Jesus does, let me tell you. And many of us have been victim of that. Because when people sit down to watch, they do it to criticize. They do it to judge, to be judgmental. They do it to condemn. They do it to accuse. Are you human like I am? Have you been a victim of that? Let me tell you, I've been a victim of that many times during my life. Do you know I have a beautiful family? I have five children. In today's society, that's a huge family. That's a big family, let me tell you. Now folks usually have one kid, if most two. Uh, Pastor Miranda and Debbie, you guys are brave. They're going for their third. I have five children. Now, when my grandpa and grandpa were alive, a family of five was a family of, uh, it was little, it was small, it, it, it wasn't very big. I remember my grandpa telling me, no, I had 12 brothers, and my grandmother, we had 17, my mother had 17 kids. I said, wow, so a family of five is really small. But when you go to San Francisco, when you go to Santa Cruz, and different cities in, in our country, a family of five is huge. And believe me, people look at us. People look at my wife and they look at me. And one day we were at the zoo. And there we were having a good time looking at the animals. And a group of ladies were walking towards us and one of them started going, one, two, three, four. And I got anger, holy anger, of course. And I went towards that lady and I said, I have five, I'm a happy man, I'm blessed. I am. By the way, we planned for four kids and God gave us a home run, we ended up with five. So we, we, we are blessed for that. And I tell, I tell my church family, I have the perfect family, we're seven, mom and dad and the five kids. And you know what seven symbolizes in the Bible, right? Complete, wholeness. So yes, people do tend to look, 
to, to, to criticize, to accuse, or to condemn. But let me tell you, Jesus doesn't sit down to look, to accuse, to condemn, to criticize, to judge. He looks at us to save. He sits down to watch to save. The reason why you and I are here this morning worshiping Him is because He watched you. He loved you so much, He took time to see you. And He created circumstances. And He created situations that have you here under His bosom. Because He loved you so much. He watched you to save. And I want to tell you this morning that when Jesus sat down in the temple opposite to the place where the offerings were being placed and watched as people gave, he was not doing it to accuse, to judge, to criticize. He was doing it to save. He was doing it to save. Another important thing about this verse that we just read is that the way that we give offerings are so important to Jesus. Listen to what I'm going, to, I'm going to say it again. The way that we give offerings are so important to Jesus. Because he took time from his B.C. ministry to sit down and see how people give. Did you notice that in, the, in that verse too? So if it is important to Jesus, oh, it definitely needs to be important for us. The way that we give is important to him. In fact, the way that we give our tithes are important to Jesus because when you look at the Bible, he gives us parameters. He gives us pictures of how it's all about. For instance, let's just go for tithe for a moment and let's see how he reminds us in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, about tithing. Right there, Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, God has in his word a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to who? It is holy to the Lord. Let, let, let us take just a few minutes seeing how important this is to God that he takes time to put verses like this in the Bible for his people and humanity to be able to live by. A tithe of everything. I really have fun with this everything because as, as human beings, we are really into details. I'm talking about minute details we are. How am I supposed to give my tithe? Do I give it from this? Do I give it from that? Do I do it after the net? Do I do it after the taxes? Do I do it from the gross? Do, where do I give it from? I'm not going to go there. That's another message. I know the Bible study that we can have. But let me tell you, the Bible is simple and clear. And God's word says right there, a tithe of how much? You want to be blessed? Follow God faithfully. Don't ever deviate to the left or to the right. Follow him faithfully. It says a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees. I really have fun when I teach the kids a class and sometimes this comes up. Because in their mind, they do not understand how come it's talking about things from the earth. Because in our society, we deal with money. We deal with dollar bills, 
and so forth. So I, did tell, I do tell my kids, you know kids, it's written that way because during that time for the children of Israel, all the exchanges were done from the things of the land. That's, that's how the exchanges were done. That's why it talks about trees and the fruits. And in other verses, it even talks about animals. But in North America, it's not so much like that anymore. In some countries, it continues to be like that. In fact, when I was starting my ministry in Costa Rica, I was sent to one of the rainforests of the area. In the middle of the jungle, there was a congregation. There was no exchange of money. People did things by exchanging animals and things from the land. I was a young minister. I came from the city, in fact, from North America, in the jungle of Costa Rica. And there the brothers and sisters will bring me chickens. What was I going to do with chickens? I was a vegetarian. I did not know. So here I was. I, I, what am I going to do? I go back to the city and the mature pastor says, young man, what you have to do is you take that chicken, you take it to the market, you sell it, and that is that brothers and sisters tithe. That's how it was done. But it is not done in, in our society right now here in North America. We deal with money. So from the increase that God gives you, we are to bring that a tithe of everything from that. And then the other word that is really interesting, family, is that it belongs to who? Remember, Jesus is reminding us the godly way of giving. It belongs to who? To the Lord. It does not belong to me. That means that if I was to keep it, what would I be doing? Stealing. I will be robbing because I'm keeping something that does not belong to me. And let me tell you, humanity, for years and years and years, have been stealing and robbing from God. And they're the one missing out, let me tell you. And not only humanity and people that are, are, are walking away from God, even his own people. Because through the prophet... Through the prophet, God had to tell his people, you're robbing me. And then they asked, how are we robbing you? And what did God answer? Through your tithes. And he even specifies offerings. It belongs to the Lord. And the reason that it belongs to the Lord is so clear. And one of the Bible verses that help us to understand this, we can find it in Psalms 24, verse 1 and 2. It tells us the reason why this belongs to the Lord. It says, the earth is the Lord's. Let's do it together, family. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. In a few words. God is the creator. Therefore, he is the creator. He is the owner. And that's why everything belongs to him. That's why he is asking that we return a tithe of all the increase of the things that he gives us. Because it belongs to who? Now, this, is, this has a, is very significant. Because by doing this, 
you are reminded that what you have is not yours. What you have, it belongs to someone else. My oldest son likes my bicycle. So, I haven't told him this, but I'm going to give it to him anyway. <laughs> but he likes my bicycle. And he asked, me to use, he asked me to use my bicycle, so I let him use my bicycle. But I remind him, whose bicycle is that? It's yours, Daddy. How are you going to ride it? I'm going to ride it with care, Daddy. Why? Because it's yours, Daddy. It's a reminder. God, through tithing, reminds us that he's the owner. We are the stewards. As the owner, he's the sustainer. He is the provider. He is the giver. And therefore, what a beautiful act of worship it is to come before the presence of the Lord, returning what belongs to him. But now I cannot just stay right there because that is so significant too. And theologically, we can go into even more things that we're not. But listen to this. Because it belongs to God, when you are bringing it, you are not bringing anything from yourself. Do you hear me? You're not bringing anything from yourself. You are returning something that does not belong to you because it belongs to who? It belongs to God. So, listen to this family. When we bring our tithes, we are not doing it because we are grateful. Of course, we are grateful because he has given us a job that gives us money. We are grateful for that. When we bring him the tithes, it's not because he is so good. No, of course, he is good. That's why we're alive. But the underlining, the, 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 the very basis, we return the tithes because we recognize that he is the owner of everything, that he is the provider and the sustainer, not because I am grateful. For gratefulness, there is another way of giving. Do you see the difference right there with our tithes? And our Lord Jesus wants his people to remember the godly way of giving. By the way, when the people of God do not return an honest tithe or a tithe at all, they're not only robbing God. God told through Malachi, through the people, that they're cursed that they are cursed. When we do not return to God the tithe, we are missing out. belongs to the Lord. It is not for me to retain it. And the last word, it's holy to the Lord. Holy means it's set apart. A special use. 
And this is so significant also. Because I cannot use it as I please. It is not for me to call how am I going to use the holy money. It is up to the owner. And the owner has specified clearly in the Bible what it is to be used for. In the Old Testament, he showed us that it was used for the work of the Levites there in the sanctuary. For the ministry. In the New Testament, it's clearly shown that it is for the work of the ministry, for the preaching of the gospel. It has been set apart. It's holy money. So, I cannot use that money to pay for my car, or to pay for my home, or to even put food on my table. That tenth has been set apart for a holy use, a specific use that only God has given it. If I use it differently, then I am being, I am dishonoring my Lord. I am being disobedient. I am not following his will. And boy, am I missing out when I use it my way. So by the way, it, it, tithe money cannot be used to construct buildings. It cannot be used to help the poor. That is God's saying. It is specifically for the use of the preaching of the gospel. Teaching Bible. Missionaries around the world. To pay for the ministers in cities to continue leading churches into preaching the word in their community. And then there in Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, we have read this verse so many times. It tells us, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. By the way, the whole tithe, not half tithe, the whole tithe is an honest tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse is a center place where those resources are dispersed for the different ministries in the region. Test me in this, says the Lord. Look at the challenges. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Don't we have a God that really wants to provide for us? We're not talking about opening the doors of Bank of America or Wells Fargo. We're talking about, we're talking about heaven. And it's going to pour out so many blessings that we will not have room enough to want. How are we living as the people of God? Let me tell you, as a pastor, my heart suffers sometimes because I see families suffering. I see families in distress. And when I see the details of their lives, of their walking with their Lord, you can see right there that there is lack of faithfulness. When there is lack of faithfulness, we cannot expect to be blessed by the Lord. But he says that we should test him on this, and boy, is he going to do wonderful things. By the way, in the, in the book, Councils on Stewardship, page 36, we're told this, it is not returning to the Lord his own that makes men poor, 
Withholding tends to what? Withholding tends to poverty. So this is what I say. Family, it is so much better to live with 90% blessed by the Almighty than to have 100% not blessed by Him. With 90%, you're going to do so much more that you will never be able to do with 100% that is not blessed by the Lord. But that is not where we want to stay. We want to go back to the narrative. I know you do, and I want to also, because God has something really interesting to teach us there about the godly way of giving. And we were looking that giving offerings were so important to Jesus that he took time from his, his schedule, from his busy schedule, to sit down and to see how people placed money into the temple treasury. And there Jesus noticed that many rich people threw in large amounts. But now we have something in verse 42 that breaks that picture. Come with me to verse 42. And in verse 42 it says, But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins. Jesus was looking at all these people, giving lots, well-off gentlemen, giving lots. And then he sees in verse 42, this little woman, and she puts only two very small copper coins. And my Bible tells me how much that is in our days. Does your Bible tell you how much that is in our days? It says it is a fraction of a penny. Not even a penny! This is what the widow gave. What can you do with a fraction of a penny? My kids have much more than a fraction of a penny and they don't work yet. What can the church do with a fraction of a penny? But we're going to see that Jesus was not after quantity. Not at all. Right there in verse 43, he calls his disciples. Come with me to verse 43 of chapter 12 of Mark. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said... I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. In other words, if in that particular day it was $1,000 that were given between everybody that came and gave, just the fraction of a penny that the widow, the widow gave was so much more than the $1,000. Do you see what Jesus is saying right here? How come? How come just that fraction of a penny is so much more in value to Jesus than the $1,000 they gave that particular day? And he tells us right there in verse 44. Come with me. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live on. The right translation should have been, they gave from the leftover wealth. That's what happened. All these guys, they gave from their leftover wealth, but she gave from what she had to live on. You see the difference right there? Is God telling you which one is the godly way of giving without me having to say it? They gave from leftovers. She gave from what she had to live. They gave 
after they paid for their mortgages or their rents. They gave after they paid for their car. They gave after they put food on their tables. They gave after they paid for their smartphones. They gave. This verse is very difficult for us, let me tell you. It is very difficult because the Lord is calling us to a standard of living that does not make sense to the world. This does not make sense to the world at all. Some of you are looking at me, oh, where is he going with this? Where is he going with this? What Jesus is teaching us here, folks, to the world, it does not make sense. But for the people of God, it should make sense. The world lives by the standard of self-preservation. Are you with me? The world lives by the standard of self-preservation. The way of God is self-sacrifice. And that's what the widow did. She gave from what she had to live. How could she have given that way? Have you thought about it? How is it possible for her to do that? The only way after reading the Bible, after allowing the Holy Spirit to help you discern the truth is this. Because she loved with all her heart. And when you love, there is no limit to the giving. When you love, there is no limit to the giving. Have you done crazy things when you love? Some of you are smiling back at me. Let me tell you. I was dating my wife. Boy, was I in love with that young lady. I would do anything. I would climb the highest mountain. I would swim the, the, the longest stretch in the ocean, even if it was shark infected. I would do anything for that young lady. We were studying in, in Central University of Central America in Costa Rica. I was doing my undergraduate degree in theology right there. Her parents were pastoring in Guatemala City, so she had come from Guatemala to Costa Rica. I had come from Florida, where I was living, to Costa Rica. And there we met. We fell in love. At least I fell in love. It was vacation time. And during vacation time, we start our preparations to travel home abroad. So I, I put my money aside, and I was ready. And uh, of course, with my heart beating really fast, I told her if I could accompany to the airport. And she said, yes, I would love for you to accompany me to the airport. So when we were there at the airport in Costa Rica, they had a fine. I don't know if they still do, they still do. They had a fine. It was an airport tax that you had to pay to live the country. And if you did not have that tax, you could not leave, even though you had paid for your plane ticket already. So my wife, at that time my girlfriend, she had planned for her plane ticket, but she did not make provisions for that tax that it was imposed to live the country. So here we were, everybody was boarded in the plane. Uh, she had played for her ticket, she could not get in touch with her parents, and I look at her so sad, but my heart full of love, and I have provided for myself 
I had that money in my pocket to pay for leaving the country. And I look at her, and I look at the official, and I paid for her to leave the country. And I stayed behind. And I was brokenhearted and crying. And I was miserable. Now, I was so happy because I loved her so much. Because I loved her so much, I sent her away. And I didn't care if I had to stay behind in Costa Rica and not be able to go back home to Florida. And I went back to the dorm and I was happy that I was able to do that for her because I loved her. The point that I'm trying to, come to, 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 to get across is there is no limit to the giving when we are in love with Jesus. Mary Magdalene, that story, oh my goodness. A troubled woman. Her reputation, oh my goodness. Who didn't know about Mary Magdalene? And then Jesus had to take seven demons out of her. But now her life had changed. She was a totally different woman. She was so gracious, so grateful for what Jesus had done in her life. She overheard that Jesus was invited to the home of Simon the leper. He was not a leper anymore. He had been healed. But people stay with titles. You know how it is. They knew him as Simon the leper. She was not invited, only special people, but she was so much in love with Jesus that she had to see him and she had to do something for him. She was so grateful. So what did she do? She went to town and she bought a box of alabaster, the most expensive perfume that you can think of. You will not find it in Walmart or in Jesse Penny. Or Sears. They have cheap perfumes in those places. The gospel tells us, family, that she paid a whole year wage. Let's say the average wage right now of a salary in, in, in our area, I think, is about maybe $40,000, $40,000-$50,000. Think about going out there and spending $40,000-$50,000 in a little perfume. And then she goes uninvited to where Jesus was. She didn't care. She poured everything on Jesus. Now the hearts of the saints, because he was most of his disciples, how could this be wasted? This money could have been used for something else. And Jesus was listening to all that, all that accusing and, and judging and criticizing. And he says, hold on, hold on, leave her alone. And these are his words. For she has done a beautiful thing. Her offering, what she came to offer to Jesus, was such in value. Not because it was a whole year's wage. But it signified your everything to me, and I'm willing to give without limits. The godly way of giving 
family. Simply put, it's this. Don't give from leftovers. That's how the world does it. Don't give from leftovers. The godly way of giving is give from what you have to live from. See, by doing that, by doing that, certain things will be evident in your journey as a Christian. First of all, you're so grateful and you're so much in love with God that there is nothing that can stand you back from giving to Him. Are you listening to me? There's nothing that will hold you back because everything is His. And you trust and you have faith that if that you had a heart desire, you will not be able to do it. Believe me, God somehow, some way, will do immeasurably more. The godly way of giving is don't limit your giving. Give according to the love you have in your heart. But this is not only for money. This has to do with you as a person completely. How about your talent? Are you holding back the talent that he has equipped you with? Are you just giving little drops of that talent that he has gifted you with? Give it to him without limits. How about your time? Is it only maybe Wednesday night prayer meeting? Is it only maybe during the Sabbath hours? What about Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday? What about giving him your time without reservations? Here I am, Lord. I am yours. I give yourself without holding back. That is the godly way of giving. That is the godly way of giving. So allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, to impress in your mind if this is how I need to walk, Lord, what things in my life needs to change? Believe me, He will take you to do that. He would take you to do that. By the way, when you look at the cross of Calvary, there was no limit to the giving. Did you know that? The most precious thing was giving on your behalf. So now you can have certainty of eternal life. There was no limit to the giving. So, our God set the example for us to live by. May you all be blessed and have a wonderful Sabbath day. This afternoon, we're going to look at part two of this message. We're going to look at three Bible texts that will encourage us
and that will record in our minds, in our hearts, truly how we are to give. I invite you to come. We're going to have a pleasant time with God's Word and His presence. Let us stand and bow our heads for prayer, please. Our Heavenly Father, as we stand before your presence, we are so thankful for your giving. Because if it wasn't for your giving, Lord, what would be of us? But because of it, we have a bright future. We have a blessed hope. And I pray that as we journey through this society, waiting for your soon coming, O oh Father, that our hearts be changed, that our spirits be renewed, and that we would live according to your standards and not according to the world's standards. Bring this change in our hearts, Lord, and as you do that, every day we will surrender, and we want to surrender starting now more and more to you. Thank you for your word. Keep us in our heart and teach us how to put it into practice. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.